If you're like me, you care about getting the most from your workouts, which means wearing the finest performance gear. You know, fabric that dries quickly and has superior moisture wicking properties. Fabric so soft and comfortable, you could, well, curl up and sleep in it. Introducing Sheeks, spelled S-H-E-E-X, the world's first performance bedding line. Sheeks began when two former elite athletes and coaches had an aha moment, combining everything we love about quality performance fabric with everything we love about comfortable, irresistible bedding. Unlike traditional sheets that trap heat, sheets are breathable, so you aren't constantly waking up to throw off covers or add a blanket. So you sleep deeper, longer, and better. And sheets bedding looks as good as it feels. Colors and styles that can match any decor at a price that will pleasantly surprise you. And right now, you can try sheets for 30 nights risk-free. Just go to sleepcoolnow.com. Use promo code 1212 and get $40 off any sheet set. That's sleepcoolnow.com promo code 1212. Sleepcoolnow.com 1212. This is the World According to Zig podcast for March 1st, 2020. My name is John Ziegler. I'm the host of this show. We can still get the truth about the news of the week. From a conservative perspective, in this world turned upside down, our website is www.freespeechbroadcasting.com. At freespeechbroadcasting.com, you can also find a link to our other podcast, the Individual One podcast, which deals directly with the political news of the day, including everything revolving around President Trump, although occasionally we do get into a little bit of politics on the World According to Zig podcast. As is always the case, lots to talk about. I want to begin, though, by reiterating the incredible frustration that I have expressed several times over the last several episodes of the World According to Zig podcast that we are still in limbo as to what we're going to do uh, with this endeavor uh, because of the fact that there has been a lot of interest in doing something uh, far more dramatic, whether it's in podcasting, whether it's in television with regard to the whole Penn State Joe Paterno, Jerry Sandusky uh, saga, which I have been involved with for over eight years now. And in the last episode last week, I told you that we had a major meeting scheduled this week. And for the second time, the meeting, which involves so many different people, it's amazing we can schedule it at all to get all these people in one room at one time, has been once again postponed. You cannot be serious. Yeah, it's incredibly frustrating. It's supposed to be now this week. I'll be surprised if it actually even ever happens. Uh, And I'm becoming more and more despondent about uh, what is possible here and whether or not we're just wasting our time. I realize that uh, my pessimism is colored by the incredible frustration of the last eight years, and I'm trying to be as optimistic as possible. But that optimism is not based on very much logic or reason at this point, Uh, though I don't have much choice but to continue forward and try to give every effort possible. So that is a source of extreme aggravation, largely because, if not only because, of the fact that I don't know what the heck to do with this podcast, whether or not we keep it going, uh, whether we change it, whether we just keep going as we were, who the hell knows. And so I apologize for that, and I thank you for your continuing understanding of this unique circumstance. Now, there was a positive, if there was, some sort of silver lining to the meeting being pushed back for a second time. And that is that uh, the guy who's really honchoing this 
in anticipation for the meeting before it got canceled, <laughs> invited me to play golf at a, a very well-known uh, Los Angeles uh, country club, uh, very prestigious, good golf course. Of course, I played many times in the past, but not for a long time. And he said, hey, why don't you join me and a couple of my old buddies will play golf. And I'm, and I'm sure that part of the rationale here was that we were supposed to do this meeting the next day and that we would be able to talk a little about what was going on there. Well, as fate would have it, and this kind of thing happens to me all the time. If you've ever listened to this podcast, you know uh, that I'm a magnet for these kinds of situations. Why that is the case, I'm not sure. Uh, maybe it's a combination of factors that I put myself in situations where these kinds of things can occur. And then also, once they do occur, I don't shy away from them. That's probably a big key to this. But uh, almost immediately after getting on the grounds of this exclusive Los Angeles uh, golf club, I saw Alfonso Ribera. Now, Alfonso Ribera is somebody who's well-known to uh, a lot of people because he became famous as a kid for being in a, a, a very well-known Pepsi commercial with Michael Jackson. Uh, he became a child star because of his ability to imitate Michael Jackson. And uh, this led to a very good career. He was uh, the co-star with Will Smith and the, French, uh, the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. Uh, he's gone on to be a host and do all sorts of other things. He, all, oddly enough, is the voice of the uh, Champions Tour golf, uh, PGA Tour Champions. That's the senior golf tour. Uh, he does a lot of commercials for them. But he's also uh, he's, he's all over network television from, from time to time as, as a host and a participant. And as I saw him, you know, he was clearly getting ready to play around a golf, which I didn't surprise me because I knew he was a member of this course. And I also knew he was a golf fanatic. But if you recall, during our initial coverage of the whole Leaving Neverland uh, controversy, the HBO fake documentary, which claimed that Michael Jackson had sexually abused for many, many years, James Safechuck and Wade Robson, which we deconstructed and which I do not in any way possibly believe. I think we've proven that it is not a credible medium and uh, that it's not a film that should be taken seriously. These two guys are uh, at best not credible and in all likelihood are totally and completely lying. Uh, if you if you recall, soon after that whole controversy happened, uh, we played a clip. This is for people who have really been following this case very, very carefully. We played a clip uh, of the NBC broadcast of a celebrity golf tournament that's played each year in Lake Tahoe. Uh, at a course, by the way, I've, I've played as well. It's a tremendous golf course. Uh, Lake, Tahoe, Lake Tahoe is awesome. Definitely go there if you ever get a chance to do so. Uh, but this is an annual celebrity golf tournament, probably the most high-profile celebrity golf tournament of the year, partially because NBC has broadcasted it every year for, for many, many years. And during that broadcast, Peter Jacobson had said something that really disturbed me because I knew that – Alfonso Ribeiro had been very well known at this event for uh, each year reprising his Michael Jackson imitation during the karaoke event that occurs the night, I don't know if it's the night before the last round or maybe the first round, but at some point within this golf tournament, they have this karaoke event. And Alfonso was very well known for imitating Michael Jackson. And I was irritated because the way NBC made it sound made it sound as if 
Alfonso had decided to not do Michael Jackson this year. And since this was coming right on the heels of leaving Neverland, it was not difficult to put one and two together and and get three and say, oh, wow, uh, Alfonso is either no longer supportive of Michael Jackson or he was afraid to publicly do something that was associated with Michael Jackson, even though this is something that he had been doing for many, many years and which people had... Uh, by all accounts, uh, really, really loved, and it was a kind of a tradition, and he's done it at other events as well. Uh, I, um, but it's not just this particular celebrity golf tournament, but it was known at, at that particular celebrity golf tournament in Lake Tahoe as something people look forward to each year, so much so that on the NBC broadcast, Peter Jacobson said this while Afonso was uh, getting ready uh, to, to putt. Charlie, he's always the highlighted uh, celebrity karaoke. Last night, he didn't do his Michael Jackson, Billy Jean. He didn't do it. Bruno Mars version. Yeah, he's a talented guy. He is incredibly talented. Yeah, also super nice, too. But not having his best day on the golf course. Okay, now the audio of that is particularly bad because we... <laughs> had to take it from the last year's uh, podcast we couldn't find the the raw audio of it so i apologize for the the uh, lack of audio quality there but i think you picked up on it and at the time i even interpreted the other guys jumping in as uh, hey let's not talk about michael jackson <laughs> ishne on the michael jackson day um the uh either because they didn't want jackson to be the topic or because they didn't want alfonso to be embarrassed or whatever and and i don't know if i interpret that properly or not but the key thing was i was upset that wait a minute alfonso who's always been very supportive of michael jackson is he no longer supportive post leaving neverland or is he wimping out of that support and i even tweeted at alfonso asking him directly because i am well enough aware that how incredibly stupid uh, the news media is that it's quite possible that they got this wrong or there was some misinterpretation. There might be an explanation. And I asked Alfonso on Twitter this, and I never got a response. So a couple of days ago when I'm at this golf course and I see Alfonso and, you know, he's, he's not hitting golf balls, he's not putting, he, he's just walking around the clubhouse, he's clearly accessible, and I instinctively went right up to him. And just as the guys in that broadcast indicated, he was incredibly nice. I mean, super nice guy. Uh, you know, just had a, a whole vibe about him that was very positive, very happy, very accommodating. And when I told him, I'm sure he had no idea who I am. Not that he should. Uh, but I explained, hey, uh, Alfonso, my name's John Ziegler, and I have been working on investigating the, the Leaving Neverland movie, and I just wanted to ask you a question. And he was completely uh, open and, yeah, yeah, sure, what? And I, I'm well enough aware, having been through these kind of situations many, many times in the past, one of the more remarkable things that I have learned in dealing with celebrities or high-profile people, people would be shocked. Average people would be shocked how little they know about what is said about them, even on major television broadcasts. I have had this happen numerous times before, and it is, it is uncanny 
And there's a lot of reasons for this. I mean, most celebrities live in a bubble. They may not even care that much about what's said about them. You know, in this particular case, he's playing golf, so he has no idea what's on the broadcast. He's not going to go back and watch the broadcast. And, you know, not that many people have access to these celebrities. So no one's going to say to them when they meet them, hey, uh, I heard uh, Peter Jacobson on NBC's golf broadcast say that you didn't do Michael Jackson karaoke. Of course, they don't, that doesn't account for me because, because I'm one of the very few people who might have access, who might have knowledge, and who also isn't going to give a damn about coming up and saying, hey, what about this? So I, uh, sensing that there was no problem, I, I explained you know, to Alfonso that Peter Jacobson had said this, and I asked him directly, so what was the deal? Did you not do Michael Jackson karaoke uh, this year? And he said, no, I, I absolutely did it. Uh, and it made it sound as if, I mean, he was completely baffled by what the hell Peter Jacobson was talking about. It sounded as if, from what I could tell, that he had done it at a different event, that there might have been two different karaoke events, and that he did it at a different event at Lake Tahoe, but that he he insisted with 100% certitude that he did do the Michael Jackson karaoke, and that more importantly, he had absolutely positively, I mean zero hesitation about supporting Michael Jackson in every way. Now, let me, um, this is always where I get into a difficult spot because, um, you know, I, I, I'm very much a man of my word and I don't want to get people in trouble, especially when, uh, you know, they were trying to be nice to me. I wish I could tell you the exact words Alfonso said to me about the nature of leaving Neverland and Wade Robson and James Sajak, but I'm not going to do that. I I don't have permission to do that. And when I ran into him after the round of golf, by the way, it was, this is such a classic Hollywood uh, moment. Uh, in front of us was Alfonso Rivera. Behind us was Joe Pesci. So, that's <laughs> classic, classic Hollywood uh, private country club golf. Also, speaking of private country club golf, one of the reasons why I felt comfortable going up to Alfonso is the another thing I know about celebrities, and this is another interesting quirk about human nature, is that because we were inside the gates of an exclusive country club, I knew he would immediately take me far more seriously and far less threateningly than if I happened to meet him on the street or in a, in a supermarket. It's a bizarre phenomenon, but in his mind, I'm already vetted. I must not be a complete loser because I'm about to play golf at this country club. <laughs> now, it makes very little sense, but I've seen this happen many times before. The most obvious example was when I met Donald Trump back in the spring of 2014. I would never have gone up to Donald Trump. I would never have bothered to go up to Donald Trump if I had met him on the street because he would not have taken me seriously. I know he would have blown me off. It would have been a pointless conversation. But because we both happened to be stuck in a fairly small room backstage at the Today Show, I knew that the way Trump's mind works is that, oh, 
He must not be a complete loser. There must be some reason why he's there. It's theoretically possible he can do something for me. He must be somewhat important if he's in my aura uh, backstage at the Today Show. Well, this was the same kind of situation uh, at this golf club. Now, I don't, I'm not going to put uh, Alfonso and Trump in the same category because I do sense that Alfonso probably would have been exceedingly nice uh, regardless of when and how we met. I'm not sure he would have been as open and as outspoken, uh, but he uh, made it abundantly clear that his experience with Michael Jackson was fantastic and that he has absolutely no problem uh, being pro-Michael Jackson. He did express some concern when we met after the round that I not get him in any particular trouble, so I'm I'm not going to do that, uh, and nor would I ever. Uh, but I, I had an exceedingly positive interaction with him. And what was really most striking about this is that purely by accident, within just a few minutes, I, I did more research <laughs> into Michael Jackson's alleged uh, sex abuse of child stars with whom he interacted on a, a extensive basis than Dan Reed, the director of Leaving Neverland, did. Uh, because... I, and then this is another, this is one of the weirder aspects of the whole, not just this case, but other similar cases, because people automatically say, "Well, just because uh, Alfonso Rivera had a positive experience and Al- Alfonso Rivera was not uh, sexually abused by Michael Jackson, that doesn't mean that Michael Jackson wasn't a sexual abuser." Okay, technically that's true, but there's a, a couple of problems with that philosophy. Number one, it's not just Alfonso Rivera. I mean, it is almost every single celebrity kid that Michael Jackson interacted with who has said nothing happened and has nothing but praise for Michael Jackson. And this is not just Macaulay Culkin. The most prominent or the most uh, significant example probably is Corey Feldman. Corey Feldman is a guy who uh, says that he was sexually abused uh, quite a bit, has a documentary coming out about sex abuse of kids in Hollywood, was very close to Michael Jackson. Now, in a rational world, right, Corey Feldman would be saying Michael Jackson abused him even if he didn't because it would fit his narrative and it would be helpful to him. But also, if we use the logic of those who say that someone like Michael Jackson was a sexual abuser, right? They are able to target the most vulnerable. And because Corey Feldman was somebody who had been sexually abused, therefore he was somebody who was vulnerable to being sexually abused by Michael Jackson. Also, Corey Feldman would be a perfect person, even if he wasn't sexually abused by Michael Jackson, to be able to tell the signs of being groomed or that someone was trying to sexually abuse him because he had gone through it on multiple occasions himself. And instead, Corey Feldman has said that nothing like that ever happened. Now, Corey Feldman is a complete coward. Uh, I saw an interview just, I think it was this week or or maybe it was last week, on YouTube where he's promoting this upcoming documentary, and he's asked about leaving Neverland, and he says nothing negative about Michael Jackson, but he couldn't run away faster from the question because he's a wimp, because he doesn't want his base of support to turn on him by saying anything negative about these two liars, Wade Robson and James Sachuk. And I think this is emblematic 
of the biggest problem someone like a Michael Jackson has, especially when they're dead and they can't do anything for anybody, even their celebrity friends won't speak out on their behalf because there's no risk-reward ratio for them. There's nothing in it for them. Nothing. And Corey Feldman is a classic example of that. Uh, You know, Alfonso was very supportive, but even he was a little uh, trepidatious, a little worried about, okay, make sure that, uh, you know, I don't say anything negative or you don't say imply I said anything negative about uh, James Safechuck and and Wade Robson because it's just not worth it to them. What, What is in it for them? Nothing. And so, therefore, everyone is afraid to speak out and tell the truth. But if Mike, and let's just use logic a little bit here. If Michael Jackson was really a serial sexual abuser, the reality is Corey Feldman or Alfonso or Macaulay Culkin or uh, Webster, I mean, what, one of these guys would have been abused unless, okay, now there's one argument to say maybe there's another scenario. Maybe th- there's a narrative here. Maybe Michael Jackson being a criminal mastermind, which... <laughs> There's nothing about him that indicates criminal mastermind at all. Uh, But let's pretend for a second, okay, he was smart enough to not go after uh, those uh, kids who might have had the the power to stand up to him, or he didn't want to go after kids who were publicly associated with him. And this makes a little bit of sense because, let's face it, right? If you're going to make an allegation against Michael Jackson, the most famous man in the world, what's the most difficult thing you have to do first? You have to prove contact. You have to prove that you were in contact with Michael Jackson. And obviously, it was very easy for Macaulay Culkin or Corey Feldman or, uh, or, or uh, Alfonso, who did a commercial with him, very easy for them to prove contact, thus getting over the first theoretical hurdle of making an allegation of sexual abuse. But hold on a second. That eliminates Wade Robson and James Safechuck. Because if he's smart enough to make sure he doesn't abuse high-profile kids, then what the hell is he doing abusing James Safechuck and Wade Robson? Because they were almost as high-profile as they got. They were almost to the level of Alfonso uh, and, uh, and maybe even McCul- no, not famous as far as Macaulay Culkin is concerned, but as far as their interaction was concerned. So that doesn't make any goddamn sense. And, of course, none of this makes any goddamn sense. And, and not, you know, that unfortunately, we've created these rules now where allegations don't have to make any sense, and they just get either accepted as true or everyone's afraid to debunk them because there's nothing in it for them. And uh, that's what I really got from Alfonso. And it was, I was really thrilled that he was willing to be so open with me. I tweeted a picture of the two of us together, which you can find on my Twitter feed, which is Zygmunt Freud. And uh, it seemed as if people got a, a lot of uh, satisfaction over knowing uh, that Alfonso was willing to add his name to the long list of high-profile people who had interaction with Michael Jackson as kids who say nothing ever happened and have nothing but positive things to say uh, about uh, Michael Jackson. Now, this week, uh, the Harvey Weinstein verdict came down. And I have been purposely 
very hesitant to weigh in on Harvey Weinstein. And look, everyone has their threshold, right? <laughs> Even John Ziegler has uh, the threshold for how much uh, crap I can take. And uh, I have probably overloaded, I'm not probably, if you ask my wife, a thousand percent overloaded uh, on cases related to sexual abuse. I mean, I, I carried on way too much and just got destroyed uh, and looks like I probably will be forever destroyed because of the whole Penn State Paterno Sandusky thing, unless a miracle happens, whether it's this week or soon, who knows. Uh, but I, as I've already mentioned, I'm not optimistic about that. Uh, but that whole thing, uh, you know, has been an incredible cross to bear. Uh, you know, the Michael Jackson thing has been less of a cross to bear because the Michael Jackson fans are so incredibly supportive. I, I told. I, I, I told the guy I was golfing with, I said, as soon as I tweet this picture of me and Alfonso and I explain uh, what Alfonso told me, this is going to be retweeted hundreds of times. It's going to get enormous attraction within the Michael Jackson fan community because they're so awesome. If the Joe Paterno fan community had been nearly as, as gutsy and as uh, willing to fight for the truth as the Michael Jackson fans, Paterno would have been fine. But the Paterno fans all panicked and curled up into the fetal position, partially because their own university sold them and threw them under the bus. But, uh, but that's one of the many differences. But it's still, it's still another case when I have taken a, a very, very, very public position, and it still gets used against me from time to time. Matt Lauer, whose story is eventually going to come out in the next maybe a few days, but it won't be more than a couple of weeks, which I've been working uh, with him on pretty uh, extensively. Uh, his entire his version of that allegation, which has a Ronan Farrow direct connection because it was uh, p- placed against him by Ronan Farrow in a book that came out uh, late last year. Obviously, Farrow was the person who was uh, most associated with bringing down Harvey Weinstein. And so I've been publicly associated with, with Matt Lauer as well, and then also some other cases, the Ohio State wrestling case, And so because of all of this, I have been very, very hesitant to get into the Weinstein situation. And frankly, because of uh, my uh, being involved in the Matt Lauer story, it probably made me even more hesitant to get involved at all with Weinstein uh, because of the Ronan Farrow connection. I am not someone who trusts Ronan Farrow. I didn't trust him before. I got deeply involved in the Matt Lauer allegation, but I really don't trust him now, and, and it'll be obvious, hopefully very soon, as to why I am right to not trust Ronan Farrow. But from a purely uh, political and, and also time perspective, I just didn't want to get involved with Harvey Weinstein. So Harvey Weinstein got convicted this week of two counts, and he was found not guilty, I believe it was on three counts, the most serious charges against him. And uh, and it, so he gets convicted of the lesser charges. He faces very significant jail time if if he is sentenced as is expected. Is especially considering his very poor health. It is probably a death sentence for him. He will probably die in prison. Who knows if he'll even make it to the charges that are pending here in the Los Angeles area? I am n- in no way, shape, or form a supporter of Harvey Weinstein. I think he is a jackass. He appears to have been an asshole who completely abused his power. It is obvious he should have been fired from his job for abusing that power and using his power to manipulate women into sexual situations with him. But I have to tell you, because this is who I am, I am not comfortable with this verdict. 
and, and let me tell you why I'm not comfortable with the verdict. The verdict doesn't make any sense. It logically doesn't make any sense. Yeah, yes, I get that you can uh, acquit on more serious charges and then convict on lesser charges. Except in a case like this, where it's all based upon the stories the victims told. And you either believe the victim, because it's almost no corroborating evidence. In fact, there was a lot of uh, evidence that, that should bring into question what th- these women were thinking in engaging with Weinstein time and time again after acts of alleged abuse or rape. Uh, that doesn't make a lot of sense. I mean, <laughs> I mean, yes, you can feel pressured into it because you want to promote your career, but no one's forcing you into doing this. And it at least should bring into question, okay, if you're willing to go back, then what really happened? I'm not saying that that means you cannot have a sexual abuse after that, but it should at least question it, especially when there's no direct evidence proving it. So I understand the idea that you can have uh, the, the more serious charges be acquittals and the lesser charges be convictions. But in a case like this where it's all testimony, to me, that doesn't make a lot of sense. Either you believe what the women said or you don't believe them to be credible. And if you don't believe them to be credible on the more serious charges, why are you saying that they're credible on the lesser charges? To me, this feels like a classic compromise verdict. It feels to me feels to me as if this jury felt like, you know what, this guy is a jackass, an asshole, a bad dude uh, who did some bad things. Uh, It doesn't seem like rape to us. It doesn't fit the definition of first-degree rape. So uh, we're – but we can't let him go because, you know, (laughs) that would cause uh, riots in the streets. Uh, And so we're going to convict him on some of these lesser charges. Uh, even though uh, it doesn't make a lot of sense, but we feel like that's the best verdict for everybody. That way we can feel like we did our job, uh, we followed the law, we followed the evidence, but we also didn't let this creep go. Now, am I going to lose any sleep over the fact that Harvey Weinstein ended up uh, getting uh, you know, convicted over this? No. No, because I don't think he's a good guy. See, that's there's a fundamental difference, many fundamental differences between the Weinstein case and, for instance, the Michael Jackson case, Matt Lauer case, or the Sandusky case. I believe that Michael Jackson, Matt Lauer, and Jerry Sandusky in very, very different ways, very, very different cases, I believe them to be good people. I, I believe that they just got themselves in really bad situations. And in the case of Matt Lauer, he made some really dumb decisions. Jerry Sandusky made some incredibly dumb decisions, but they were not based on the idea of abusing anybody. In fact, he got abused himself, in my opinion, because he was willing to make himself so vulnerable in trying to help these kids, these at-risk kids. And so that's part of why I've gotten involved in those other cases and not in Weinstein. There's, there's really there's no sleep to be lost with uh, Weinstein getting overpunished. But I, I'll tell you this, and it, this is either right or wrong, I don't know, but I do believe this to be true, that if Harvey Weinstein... Uh, looked more like Brad Pitt, or even just a little bit like Brad Pitt, or George Clooney, and a lot less like Harvey Weinstein, this doesn't even go to trial. doesn't even go to trial based upon 
the uh, the factual record. And here's why. It's not just because we treat uh, attractive people way better than we treat ugly people, especially in this realm. But there is a fun, there's a fundamental reality of human behavior that seems to have been totally forgotten when it comes to evaluating sex abuse cases. And Weinstein is maybe the most dramatic example of this. And that is we no longer accept that, get this, this is going to be shocking to people. We no longer accept the reality that attractive women will have sex with and sometimes even be sexually attracted to ugly men who have power, money, and the influence to help their careers. We just now do not accept this as a reality. In fact, it's, it's so politically incorrect to even say that, uh, that no one will even acknowledge this. This is somehow verbidden. You're, you're forbidden from mentioning this. And look, you know, I know this. I'm a, a mediocre, attractive guy going downhill fast at the age of 52. Uh, you know, David Foster Wallace in the famous Atlantic piece uh, talked about how I had movie star looks for a radio show host, which is like being the captain of the Swiss Navy, you know, because most radio people are very ugly. That's why they're in radio. But so but here's the deal. I am well aware that I am not a sexually attractive male. I have had sex with a lot of very attractive women. Why? It wasn't because of my charm, all right? It's because at times I was considered to be somewhat of a celebrity and, and be somebody that, of, of a stature in society. Those, that's the way it works, all right? That's the way evolution works. And to deny that in a criminal case is ludicrous. Uh, and, uh, and I think there's elements of this in the Matt Lauer situation. The reality is that attractive women will do things that they might even regret later, that they were fully consenting to doing at the time because of the aura of power, money, and influence. But then when you get the trial and you see, especially a decrepit uh, Harvey Weinstein who can't even uh, supposedly walk now, and you're like, why in the world would an attractive woman ever consent to sex with that person? Because he's no longer powerful. He's no longer has any influence. Uh, you know, the, the, the money's b- diminishing fast, and he, and he looks like he's about to die. So it's very difficult for a juror to comprehend that this could have been, underline could have been, at least somewhat consensual. Or at the very least, Weinstein might have thought that it was consensual. And what bothers me is not that Weinstein is going to likely die in prison. It's the rules that we're creating for society. And, uh, you know, my my boss at Media, Dan Abrams, made a very, I thought, uh, accurate analysis of the Weinstein verdict that maybe 10 years ago, Weinstein would not have been convicted. Now, some people think that that's good. I think, okay, um, you know, look, pendulum swing back and forth. And I'm a big believer that, you know, decades ago, the pendulum was too far in the direction of the accused and not enough to the accuser. But now we're sweeping that pendulum way too far in the other direction. And I am frightened about the rules that we're creating uh, for the future, both legally and from a societal standpoint. Now, look, is it good that maybe men will be far more careful? 
Absolutely. I mean, and 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 I'm I'm as against rape. That's what the, one of the great ironies of somehow I've gotten myself into this this topic over the last several years, and how people think I'm a defender of of rapists and sexual abusers when nobody could be more against sexual abuse than me. I mean, my mother pounded that into my head, and in, in probably the worst sex talk that any teenage boy has ever gotten. That was literally my sex talk was from my mom, not my dad, and it was all about how terrible rape is, uh, uh, probably because of experiences that she had in her own life. Uh, so, so I mean, I have that background. Plus, I'm married with two young daughters who are beautiful kids. So, uh, I mean, the the reality is, I mean, obviously, I know that no means no. No, 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 no. That was that was a joke because that's my daughter Diana from her her epic meltdown a couple of weeks ago. Uh, but uh, but the reality is. I, I couldn't be further from somebody who is supportive of this. I just want us to be careful about the rules that we're creating because we're creating situations that can cause enormous injustices, and I think we're already starting to see that. I think the Matt Lauer circumstance is absolutely one, and as I said, hopefully within the next couple of weeks, there'll be proof of that publicly, as I believe Matt will be revealing his full version of his story and what uh, Ronan Farrow got wrong in his book. Uh, Another major thing that happened this week was the Kobe Bryant Memorial. Uh, The Kobe Bryant Memorial, obviously Kobe Bryant, former Los Angeles Laker legend, and his daughter and seven other people killed in a helicopter crash just off the 101 freeway here in Los Angeles and Calabasas, off the exit where I own a rental property, uh, where I drive past uh, quite often, including every uh, Sunday when we do this podcast. By the way, the more I drive past that site, the more it becomes obvious to me that the location uh, could have easily been uh, an, indic- uh, an indication that the pilot, and again, I'm not a helicopter pilot, I'm just using common sense, it's really within, it's a crevice or a canyon within a canyon where this thing, uh, where the helicopter ended up crashing. And I could see in misty conditions where once the pilot got himself within that canyon or crevice that's in a, within a larger canyon, he could have gotten confused. I'm still confused by the, the dramatic trajectory uh, and uh, the the you know how how quickly the the helicopter was descending and how fast it was going as it crashed into the side of the hill that's still confusing to me and I don't know if we're ever going to get any answers but I it's becoming more and more obvious to me that this really was a situation of just honest to goodness pilot error and uh, whether you want to call it disorientation or what have you but that the topography ended up causing a perfect storm of circumstances that resulted in the nine deaths of those people who were on the helicopter. Well, the memorial, I was skeptical as to whether or not maybe it was a little too late. Like, our attention spans are so short. It has been such a long time since this actually occurred. Are people still going to be as emotionally impacted all this time later? And that skepticism was misplaced because this memorial was fantastic. It was probably the best memorial that I have ever uh, been exposed to, either in person or on television. It really hit almost all the right notes. Uh, it was very well produced, considering the fact that you know this was not an easy thing to bring together. Apparently, Vanessa Bryant was behind most of it. Her speech was spectacular. 
to me, the, the best part was near the very end where she talks about, uh, she's talking to Kobe and she says, uh, Kobe, you have Gianna and I have the girls and we're still the best team and we'll meet up again someday, which is a nice thought. But as an agnostic slash atheist, I don't believe in that, but it was a nice thought. And I thought she did a, a fantastic job. I thought uh, I, I didn't understand why the UConn, Connecticut, you know, the Connecticut University uh, basketball coach was asked to speak, since I guess Gianna was supposed to go there five years from now. Uh, but um, that was that was a little odd. Um, but you know, other than that, I thought it was uh, fantastic. I also thought, boy, the people who went after Kobe Bryant on the rape charge right after he died must really have felt. I hope they felt like crap watching that. Uh, memorial service because that memorial service could not have been more pro girl pro female pro female sports uh, than uh, if that was the entire objective to it and I look I'm sure Vanessa uh, wanted that to be one of the themes for for good reason but uh, the number of women who spoke incredibly powerfully and eloquent eloquently about how positively Kobe Bryant impacted their lives I thought was really uh, significant, and it's kind of hard to, to look at him as a rapist after uh, after watching that. I mean, he must have been. Uh, it's just hard to hard to put that in your brain after you watch what the women said about him uh, in that memorial service in a very heartfelt presentations. I guess the the part of the the memorial service that I found most uh, puzzling was that there was no sign of LeBron James. Now, you may recall that uh, when this first happened, I was skeptical of LeBron James' claim that he was going to carry on Kobe Bryant's legacy. I mean, his response to the death was basically all about him. Me, 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 I, 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 I will carry on Kobe's legacy. And I, I, it was a little distasteful to me because of the whole narcissism aspect, but I also understood what he was trying to do. He was trying... You know, this was something that the community of Los Angeles was going to lose forever. And he wanted to tell people, hey, look, I'm going to do the best I can to try to salvage this situation. And I will carry on Kobe's legacy. And obviously, as the Lakers star uh, and a a superstar of, of world proportions, he was in the best position to do so. And I predicted that this was not going to happen, that years from now, once he retires, uh, and obviously Kobe's uh, long dead, and this is not top of mind anymore, uh, that LeBron, depending on his family situation, was probably going to end up moving to South Beach, Florida, uh, maybe a little time in, in his hometown of uh, Cleveland or Akron, Ohio, and that he was not going to make Los Angeles the centerpiece of his... That was just my gut reaction, because I just, I, I just didn't believe him, and I don't believe him partially because of an episode that the media has covered up with regard to LeBron James, and that is that before he came to Los Angeles, about a year and a half before he came to Los Angeles, he claimed during the NBA Finals that his home in Los Angeles in Brentwood, Brentwood uh, which is where O.J. killed two people, had been the victim of a hate crime. That there had been, uh, there had been, uh, I guess, uh, anti-black, uh, uh, racist uh, graffiti placed upon his house in Brentwood. Now, if you know anything about Brentwood, this is preposterous uh, on its face. I mean, it's really just absurd. It's just flat out ridiculous. But okay, absurd things happen, like OJ killing two people in Brentwood. But there's massive evidence for that. Uh, there's never been any evidence this actually happened, and the police totally. <laughs> Just pretended, okay, this is one of those things we're just going to move on from. We're going to pretend this this allegation was never made because there's no photos of this. I mean, 
I mean, there's no photos. It was just impossible. The thing was supposedly painted over immediately before anyone got there, which is also impossible. So it's impossible that it happened. It's impossible that it happened without anyone taking a photo of it uh, or noticing it. And it's impossible that the police... Uh, decided, you know what, we're just not going to investigate this. LeBron James claims that a hate crime was committed on his house, and we're just going to sweep this under the rug. And then you know what else is also impossible? That when LeBron James has the ability to go to any city he wants, he decides, you know what, I'm going to go play in the city that just committed a hate crime on my house. Really? Come on, people. You cannot be serious. So So I don't trust LeBron. Well, I found it odd that there was no sign of LeBron at the memorial service. And, but, of course, that's, it's possible that maybe he just didn't want to be seen. It's not really like LeBron. I mean, every star in the history of basketball, is, including Michael Jordan, is literally right there, um, you know, right around the podium. So why is LeBron not there? He should be easily seen. But, okay, people grieve in different ways. Maybe he wants to do this privately. Maybe he was in a super box somewhere. Maybe he was there, but we just didn't see him. It's possible, right? The next day, he gets asked by the media, so did you go to the memorial service? And LeBron doesn't say yes, doesn't say no. He says, I appreciate your question. I really do, but I'm not going to answer it, and I don't want any more questions about this. That's almost a direct quote. Now, I'm sorry. That makes no damn sense if you went. If you went, you just say... Yeah, I was there, and it was beautiful, and that's it. There's no reason to, or if you, there's absolutely none that I can think of as to why you would not answer that question directly, unless the answer was, I didn't go, <laughs> and then you don't want the follow-up question as to, why didn't you go? Now, look, there are, there are logical reasons why you might not go. Again, everyone grieves differently. This is a long time since it happened, so you know everyone else was able to get their ass there. Why LeBron wasn't, I don't know, but I'm inherently suspicious of LeBron, and of course the media just let him totally off the hook because he's LeBron, they're afraid of him, he ordered the media not to do any follow-up questions, so there were no follow-up questions, and so we'll probably know the, we'll never know the real answer as to why the hell LeBron was apparently not at Kobe Bryant's memorial service. The other odd thing about this was, and I have no idea if this was on purpose or coincidental, but it seemingly would have been done on purpose, they ended up suing the pilot the morning of the memorial service, which is really odd timing. Maybe they thought that the lawsuit would get dwarfed by the coverage of the memorial service, but that lawsuit had some uh, really dramatic allegations. I mean, that lawsuit from Vanessa Bryant against the helicopter company blames the helicopter pilot without any question on, on numerous levels, that they should never have been flying that day, that the, the, the pilot made numerous mistakes, that he didn't listen to the instructions he was given. And then maybe most interestingly, and we don't know whether or not this is based on evidence or whether or not this is just part of a normal lawsuit. And my, my mother was killed in a car accident, so I have some knowledge of the way these things are done. Um, you know, one of the more insane elements of a wrongful death lawsuit is that you get a lot more money if the person suffered before they died, it's so stupid. But, like, you know, one of the issues was did my mother know that she was about to get in a car accident before she was killed? 
And she wasn't driving. She was a passenger. Now, we have no way of knowing, and most likely she had very little notice. I mean, I, I, I was the person who went to the car uh, after the accident to see it. I saw her body. I'm the only one who saw her body. I'm the only one who saw the car. Uh, you know, one of the things that I will always think about is that for some reason her pocketbook, the, the sh- shoulder slash had been ripped off the pocketbook. Uh, in the midst of the crash that was still in the crash scene her body was not there and that always made me think okay how does that make any sense i mean you know amateur detective here if if the pocketbook was just laying on the floor the shoulder slash would not have been torn off she had to have been wearing the pocket right like the, the pocketbook had to be on her person so there would be some resistance causing the the slash to snap off now who the hell knows if that's true or not but in my mind because i knew having driven with my mother quite a bit (laughs) that she was a pain in the ass to drive with (laughs) that that the idea that she didn't see a truck in front of them in the lane so that she could tell her her boyfriend who was a judge in the philadelphia area at the time to stop indicated to me she must have been distracted so maybe she was going through her pocketbook for whatever reason and and missed the whole thing well the reason why this is relevant is as obscene as it is that's a major point in a wrongful death lawsuit as far as the the amount of damage you're going to get like if for instance if someone survives a crash their death uh, ends up becoming far more valuable in the court's eyes because they, they there was pain and suffering and anguish as opposed to just instant killing. Now, I have no idea the logic behind any of that, but that's the way it is. Well, in this lawsuit, they one of the things they sue for is the pain and anguish that Kobe and his daughter Gianna suffered before the crash. Now, now do they know that, therefore, that uh, is there some way for them to know that the people on that helicopter were terrified for a significant period of time before the actual crash? I don't know, but that's in the lawsuit. And so we had this bizarre situation where they there's the lawsuit the morning of the memorial service, and then at the memorial service, the helicopter pilot who's blamed in the lawsuit by Vanessa Bryant is mentioned positively on at least a couple of occasions as being a victim of this accident. And in fact, the pilot got mentioned more times than Kobe's parents. By my count, I don't think Kobe's parents were even mentioned at all, although they were apparently there. So it was a very odd situation, and I feel like there's going to be more news to come out about that eventually. And unfortunately, having gone through my mother's situation, it would not surprise me, although I hope we don't we don't get here. It would not surprise me at all if uh, some of those people on the, the, the helicopter, the families, end up being forced, whether they like it or not, to sue Kobe because Kobe's the person that put them on the helicopter. And, of course, Kobe's where the money is here. So, uh, I, unfortunately, I, I, I think we're going to see some, some negative things going forward on that. But whether or not we ever find out what really happened to cause the accident, I'm still... Uh, exceedingly uncertain, uh, but it's obviously a horrendous tragedy. And overall, I will just say that that memorial was really, really good. And if you get a chance, check out the speech that uh, Shaquille O'Neal gave and Michael Jordan. Michael Jordan was remarkably emotional and good, not nearly as narcissistic as I expected, but Shaquille O'Neal, who probably shouldn't have even been speaking because he didn't speak to Kobe for the last several years of his life, was very funny. And I thought, uh, you know, played his role 
uh, very, very well. So overall, uh, big thumbs up on, on how they everyone handled the Kobe Bryant uh, memorial. Uh, one last thought uh, before we go on the coronavirus. Uh, everyone is, you know, in near panic mode. My wife is in near panic mode over the coronavirus. Uh, she's purchased, uh, by her count, $700 in extra food supplies in case we get quarantined somehow. I am not in the uh, near panic mode. Uh, I, I, If I had to guess, this is just a guess, and maybe it's a hopeful guess, I think that the people are overreacting to the coronavirus. Uh, I hope this is the case. There's a positive impact to people overreacting because then we're more diligent. We do more dramatic things to, to try to stop the spread of it. Is it going to be bad? I'm sure it will. Just like the flu bug is terrible. Every year, 50,000 or so people die in this country because of the flu bug. Hopefully, we're not going to get 50,000 deaths because of coronavirus, but you know, this, is the, this is the world. doesn't mean you just accept it. It doesn't mean it's not a horrible thing. But the idea that the, the stock market has completely collapsed and people are talking about having uh, potentially March Madness basketball games with no, with no crowd in attendance uh, seems to be uh, more than an overreaction. I hope it's an overreaction, uh, but that's what my instincts tell me uh, for whatever that might be worth. Until uh, the next edition of the World According to Zig podcast, which I have no idea when that will be, whether it be like, I'll keep you guessing. It might be this coming weekend. It might be a couple weeks. Who knows? Actually, you know what? It will not be this coming weekend. I mean, now that I think about it, we will not be doing a uh, podcast this coming weekend because I'm actually going to see my father uh, in Arizona. So um, I will not be uh, doing a podcast on Sunday, but I, I, my guess is because of the Matt Lauer situation, I will be doing one uh, the following Sunday. So make sure you keep your eyes open for that. And always, as always, follow me on Twitter at Zygmunt Freud. Our website is freespeechbroadcasting.com. And if you're one of those people who uses sheets and when you sleep, please make sure you pay attention to this important message. And also remember to uh, share this via social media, Twitter, Facebook, uh, word of mouth, what have you. Until next time, my name is John Ziegler. This is the World According to Zig podcast. Our, our website is www.freespeechbroadcasting.com. Coffee? Oh, thanks. How did you sleep? Ugh, like a baby. I don't want to get out of bed, ever. These sheets are mm, incredibly soft. What did you say they're called again? Performance bedding by Sheiks. <laughs> performance bedding? <laughs> yeah. They're made from super high-tech performance fabric. They're incredibly breathable, so you're not waking up at night throwing covers off and then an hour later throwing them back on. Huh. No wonder I slept so good. Since I started using Sheiks, I sleep like a baby. No more sweaty nights for me. No? Well. <laughs> well, I like them because they're soft. They feel like, mm, silk. Performance fabric, huh? Maybe we should... Oh, I don't know. Try them out again. <laughs> <laughs> Comfort and performance for better sleep. That's Sheiks. S-H-E-E-X. Sheiks. Try Sheiks for 30 nights risk-free. Go to sleepcoolnow.com. Use promo code 1212 and get $40 off any sheet set. That's sleepcoolnow.com, promo code 1212. Sleepcoolnow.com, 1212.